Welcome to the Stringers Podcast number 001. That's right. First first time for new things, new beginnings. Right after Labor Day, it's kind of like these kids are going back to school and I want to do something different. This is going to be an in-conversation style podcast because let's face it, I like to talk and talking I do a lot of. The first guest we were able to welcome in is Akil Augustine. We're old friends. We go way back. 10 years or so. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Akil Augustine or on his website, AkilAugustine.com. But before we get to that, I've got a technical producer. Her name's Kylie. She's pretty cool. Hey there. Hey, Kylie. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. So the idea here is we're a Toronto-based podcast. I like my city. I get out and about in my city. What's going on this week? Give me a couple things that are going on that you're interested in that maybe people want to check out. Well, I, I did one a couple months ago, a drink and paint paint party. A dr- in, drink and yeah, paint? A drink and paint party <laughs> yeah, with some music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what my painting oh, yeah. would look like. It's happening at the paint cabin on Friday, September 8th. Go check it out. Also that day, the It movie is getting released. Oh, have you seen I, the statues? I have. There, I have. <laughs> so I have a friend that uh, I used to work with. Her name is Akasha. And she just recently went over to Warner Brothers mm-hmm. to work with their marketing team in Warner Brothers Canada. And so our marketing and, and communications team. So she actually is like on the ground doing that promotion. Oh, yeah. And it's unbelievable. They freak the heck out of me. But everyone during the business hours are like, oh no, so many people are standing and taking photos and everyone hates it. So Because they're not doing work. They're doing yeah. photos. Because you know, everyone in Toronto walks fast. So <laughs> Now they're stopping and looking <laughs> yeah. at a little yellow raincoat and a red <laughs> balloon. Yeah. And on uh, Saturday, September 9th, if you're into concerts, there's the weekend and the Queens of the Stone Age happening. Queens of the Stone Age. Okay. So weekend, I can appreciate what he's done, you know, music wise. I can't say he's my favorite artist, but me either. Me either. But but he's still pretty good. Yeah. He's got a great following. Queens of the Stone Age, on the (laughs) other hand. See, I'm an 80s baby. I'm an early 80s baby. And I kind of like that grunge rock 90s into 2000s. Queens of the Stone Age is definitely my jam. I'm actually going down in. um, uh, right, the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, yeah. And I'm going down to California and I'm going to see them perform. They're doing Cal Jam, which is kind All of right. apparently like the Dave Grohl slash Foo Fighters concert. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to check them out uh, in California. So that's really, I never knew they were in town. Yeah, no, they're in town. Hmm. Fancy that. You can see them twice. You, I could see them twice. You guys can go check <laughs> them out. Or if you want to do something else, just drink and paint. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I do. <laughs> that's why my office looks so great. All right. Now, before we get to our guest, I made a mistake in my podcast. So we, we went on a bit of a Star Trek rant uh, a couple times, I think. And Jerry Taylor, I inappropriately referenced as the showrunner. When, in fact, she was a scriptwriter and producer of TNG. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make these mistakes. I'm going to make them a lot. So if you want to point them all out to me and be really, like, awesome and let me know all the times I screw up, you can catch the podcast on Twitter, at Stringer Podcast, on Instagram, at Stringer Podcast, and you can email us, podcast, at thestringers.com, at Stringers with a Z, if you're in America with a Z, if you're in Canada, podcast at thestringers.com, if you're listening, and if you aren't, it's just Kylie and I. <sighs> we're in it for the, to you all day. We're in it for the long haul. <laughs> Kylie? Yep. 
reach over there. Do me a favor. Yeah, just over there and uh, pass me my sacks. Done. Um, <laughs> are you a Star Trek fan? Are you fucking kidding me? No, are you? <laughs> dude, I love Star Trek. Oh, Joining the Force, oh, dude. War, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, <laughs> Next Generation. What do you want? Voyager? Oh, Whoopi Goldberg? On it. Dude, I was, a, I was a kid that just sat there and watched whatever city TV put on. So, for me, I... Uh, I always have to have a TV show on, like just on my iPad when I'm going to sleep. I just like the background noise. And I'm right now on season five of Next Generation. And I started from season one. And I'll like, if you have a restless night, you end up watching two, three, four episodes as you go. And that, it holds up. Like it's still clear. Though I will point out that the only characters you brought up were Worf, Jordy LaForge. And And Whoopi. And Whoopi. I live my life through black characters. (laughs) (laughs) But don't we all? Not, not, but through people we can relate to. Yeah, exactly, right? Not that I can relate to Whoopi or Worf. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, man. My forehead's kind of big. I got that in common with Worf. <laughs> I love the show. Um, last night's episode. Uh, Wait, are we Riker? Yeah, yeah, we're going. This is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we start. No, just, we started talking about Star Trek. Yeah, it's a soft start. Okay, all right. It kicks off. This is going to be episode one. This kicks off. If we're going to start with anything, starting with Star Trek is probably the best way to start any podcast that I'm part of. And show off my racial bias okay that's cool (laughs) William Riker fell in love with a person of an androgynous species yeah and there and so she was like I don't understand how does it work with in a society with two sexes and he's like I don't understand how does it work in a society with one sex we're all asking ourselves that same question right now but what was really interesting is there's the hard undertones in it and you could tell because her society once the two of them fell in love and she said she identified as female the society then put her in for they like took her away and was going to put her in for treatment because to make her androgynous to again? make her androgynous because these aren't the right feelings that you should oh, be the feeling right feelings exactly that's interesting so well i mean there's certain people in our society you feel there are the right feelings right now Exactly. And, but it was interesting to see in 90s, so this would have been probably season 5, 94, 95-ish. So far ahead of their time. So far ahead. How they're tackling something that really, I'd say, it was definitely part of our culture and, and you know, the movement of, especially in the U.S., the, the homosexual community. LGBTQ. Uh, thank you. Um, to try and gain equality, which mm-hmm. is just equality. It just means you and me are equal and are on the same page. But it didn't come to a head, in my opinion, and I might be wrong, it didn't really come to a head until the early 2000s. I would say even mid, to, well, late 2010 plus yeah. with, uh, you know, Miss Jenner. So so 15 years ahead, they're already tackling what an atrocity this is. Props to Star Trek Next Generation, right? I mean, completely. those, those writers are brilliant. And it, you have balls. Right, to tackle a massive issue that isn't so popular. Or huge ovaries, if we're going to be non-gender specific. True, and actually the showrunner, I believe, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but her showrunner, uh, the showrunner was a female, and I'm almost 100% positive of that. You know uh, a lot about this. If I'm wrong, I'm going to cut it out. I no, just leave it in, and then the, the, if they hear it, they'll be like, this guy's an idiot, and they'll call you, and then maybe you can get them on the podcast was, as a guest. It was either, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. No, I want to do everything in person. Actually, my one goal is not... You got a budget to fly the showrunner out? I fly already for work. 
right? Yeah. I'm all over the place. I'm in LA for yes. That's one thing like I know about you. Five you days. are all over the place. I'm all over the place, and so I'm in LA for uh, for five days at least in September for work. Oh, I'll be in and LA in so, September too. Really? Yeah. I think uh, Nike's doing the uh, new NBA jersey launch in LA. It's gonna be my first time. I'm so excited. Tell me about it. Uh, I don't even know too much about it. I just know that um, Nike, who's mm-hmm. a company I work very closely with over here, uh, they recently regained the rights to the NBA, mm-hmm. um, bumping Adidas out of that position. So they're going to do a big launch of the new Nike jerseys, which look amazing so far. I mm-hmm. love them. And there will be an event. I don't know the exact date and timing, but I know the way Nike does it. It's going to be an amazingly huge dupe event yeah. somewhere in LA. And I've never been to LA before. And it was actually on my list of places to go this summer, but I kind of figured out what was going to happen. So I waited out. <laughs> this is what I've always, so you bring up Nike and the, your relationship with them. This is what I always love, loved and still love about you. And we'll go through maybe some more stuff in a bit. How did that, is your ability to connect and resonate with companies? And I think of Foot Locker and I think of Nike, definitely. Yep. Um, and, oh no, and I also think of Chapters, Chapters Indigo. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But but start with Nike. How do your relationship with them start? Like, how do you, this is the biggest brand when yeah. it comes to shoe companies in the world. Yeah. And hey, I am a sneakerhead. Yeah. I've got more than enough. I remember, like, I still have my first pair of Jordans that I ever bought. Whew. I like my shoes, even though. What are you wearing right now? What do you got on? What do you rock? I don't know. Let me see. Lift your foot up. Those are oh, those are nice. What are those? Pro cats? Chucks? You don't know yeah, what they are? I don't know what they. These well, are you my. Might so- not, you might not be that big of a shoe head. The, the, no, I'm not. These are, <laughs> these are these are my shoes that I wear when I don't have to wear socks, right? And so I expect these are my dirty. shoes I wear when I don't have to wear socks. Uh, so what are those? These are some uh, <laughs> because no one listening can. See. Well, I mean, you guys can all tell what shoe this is, right? Let me just look at it. <laughs> just no, listen the, to it. It's the Nike Flyknit Racer, all white, because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Contrast. Maybe. It yeah, looks great. Yeah, it's true, right? right? My chocolatey legs and this it's, super cocaine white sneaker. That's why I buy black, black shoes. Oh, is that Clearly. Why? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, I need something to go with all my old gray wardrobe. So where so are we going how, with this? No, how did your the, relationship, oh, relationship with Nike go? Like, okay. how did it all start up? Well, my relationship with Nike all started a very long time ago. Probably I was nine years old. And I didn't. Far, far away. I, no, this was in Toronto. This was in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and I think I was nine, one of my first years here. And I wanted a pair of Nike Air Force. I think they're the Force, the Force, the Nike Forces. And obviously, we couldn't afford the Forces, mm-hmm. but there was another shoe like one step down. It wasn't that far of a step down, but it was a step down. Mm-hmm. And it was Larry Johnson's Converse Reacts. So my aunt bought me the Converse Reacts because. The forces were a bit outside my price range, mm-hmm. but my cousin got them. And I was extremely upset, and it ate at me forever. And I remember I got my first pair of Nikes, the Nike Air Tenacity. No one knows about the shoe. No one's heard of the shoe. It's not even a fly shoe, but it was my first pair of Nikes. I still, to this day, remember the smell of them. But Nike's always been a leader, not just in the marketing of the game of basketball, which is extremely close to my heart, but in innovation and technology. And I'm a person who's very fit. I'm very into... Just finding the best things. Like mm-hmm. If you're going to work out, wear the best sweater that allows you to perform better. I want to mm-hmm. win. I want I want pieces that are going to allow me to become more and to be more active, to be more competitive, to be more of a winner. And Nike's always kind of held that role in, like, um, I guess, this portion of society, whether it's football, basketball, because like, these are sports I grew up on. So I've always had a really, really, really strong passion for Nike. And uh, one year I met a guy named Dwayne Watson 
who sweets. I actually sweets, sweets. sweets. I actually I already sweets. had a relationship with Nike through one of my best friends, Vidal. He won something called the Battlegrounds a few years back, so I got to know the people at Nike, and they started to send me some pieces here and there through my relationship with him. But once I met Sweets, who had formerly worked in um, the music industry, he had some very strong relationships and had some knowledge about what uh, Nike was doing business-wise. And we had just started um, working on the Hangout together after I brought him in as our producer, and he made a couple calls, we had a couple lunches, and after the introduction... So L.A. of you. <laughs> well, hey, shoot, all right, I'm gonna fit in, then I go then. But um, yeah, no, he made a couple calls, we had a couple lunches, and um, a lot of the projects that myself and Sweets were working on were really aligned with Nike's vision for basketball in the city moving forward. Mm-hmm. And out of that birthed you know, this shipping relationship where boxes just show up at my house and we've done a couple of other cool things too, but definitely um, Nike's always been one of those brands for me that really resonates with the person I actually am. Mm-hmm. So I don't partner with every brand. Like, you know, when you're one of those Instagram people, which I'm, you know, not that high up on that ladder of, but you'll still get a lot of offers from people to do different things, mm-hmm. but it's really got to resonate with who I am. And I think you mentioned chapters in to go, I love reading. I'm a voracious reader. I'll read anything that's not fiction. And um, it's just part of who I am. And that's how that partnership with Indigo came out. I've got a, a thing going this year. And it was actually from another podcast I was listening to. But I'm on, on like those early 1900s tycoon swings right now. <laughs> so like Vanderbilt. Yeah, um, um, Napoleon Hill. I don't have a Napoleon Hill book. What? Think and Grow Rich is Think and Grow Rich is the book that got the United States out of the Great Depression. It's one of the greatest pieces of success literature ever written. Napoleon Hill is a brilliant, brilliant man. This is what I love about you. You're just Ah. full of information. Now, this is going to be so classically me. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the podcast Akil Augustine. Hi, Hi, everybody. Didn't introduce the guy at all. Producer and talent on NBA TV Canada in a series of different shows, as well as uh, motivational speaker yeah 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 I, I don't like the term motivational speaker as much as I like I lead workshops I lead storytelling Ooh, workshops I like that yeah I want to be able to lead a storytelling workshop I think you, I think you got the skills you got I don't the know chops. Nah, I don't you have a charisma about you that oh, is infectious Ooh. like it's just yeah, some girls have told me that before <laughs> have they you, <laughs> do you still talk to them joke. <laughs> we've known each other wow I'm trying to think of when we actually first met. It was probably walking down Parliament one day, no. coming from the studio. and like I, When we first, no, I think we first met. Clarky. So it would have been through Chris Clark. Yep. Yeah, Clarky. I'm guessing 2009, 2008, no 2009. Way. That, no, it's yep. longer than that. Leaf Space. Oh, was it? Leaf Space yeah, was it would 2009? It would have been Leaf Space. So Leaf, no. C- Leaf CV had definitely because I started my relationship. Why does it feel so much longer? It may have been 2008. I swear to God, it was 20 years ago. But uh, thanks, it definitely ages us. Yeah. We haven't. How long have you been with uh, Maple Leaf Sports Center or Leaf CV and well, NBA TV Canada? I started with NBA Excel probably in the year 2004. Four or three at Sportsnet, and then when it shifted over here, probably in 2005 or six. So I've been here ooh, 11 years. Sheesh. Which, 12, th- no, more than that, like 12 or 13 years. It's interesting for us because we're sitting in a building yeah. which we're not actually, no one really is here anymore. There's no. like my team is here, uh, which consists of four people, and there's one editor and one engineer. It's the 307 Lakeshore studio, which will soon be another condo in downtown Toronto. Is it because I I see for lease signs outside the front door. I think they're trying to lease it. This same building? This same building. The Wait, way they is. ran us out of it? No. Uh, 
I don't want to speak out of turn, but uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment's contract is that was up. I think the plan in the long one run was always to 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 find a new home, a, a new home. A well, we're at space. the ACC now. One of the, we're at the ACC now. So it's neat because it wasn't in this building that we first met, but I'm guessing it was a Leaf Space event because Leaf TV had uh, like a, a fan generated show. Remember tweet ups? Remember when people used to actually attend tweet ups? It was the big thing. Yeah. Right. And I think we all met up in March to watch a Leafs game at a pub. And I think, oh, yeah. And you were there, and Mike this, Brock was there. Was this when Chris the NBA Clark. was on strike and they made me work hockey? No, that, that was still two years after. Okay, okay. Because that was like 2012. That was hilarious. Yeah. Because I became a hockey reporter for a year. You and Kat yeah. came over and worked hockey. And I'm not I, saying you can't do it. No, I just not at figure all. out where the blue line was. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stripe across the middle of the jersey. Oh, that blue thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay. They got you guys. I was so jealous because they got both of you jerseys with your names on the back, and yet I had been here, I think, three years, and I still have a jersey of my own. Wow! I was like, dang it! And that's I'm like they just shipped over. Yeah, they well, just that was shipped a signing over. Bonus. That was the signing bonus for our, our new contracts. I think that was to make you guys feel good for the sake of there not being basketball for the year. Yeah, we needed it. We have been here as both of. I'm not going to say my career's grown because I'm pretty much in the same spot. But oh, you're doing a podcast. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. The Kylie and Clay podcast. We're going to call it from now on. But you always had an itch to, to be on air. Like there was, I always saw it in you. You always had the personality yeah. to deliver information and deliver in a way that people are going to care. But it took some time. Yeah, I guess a lot of people don't know. I was started out as a grunt. So I used to, um, <laughs> my career started as I was the guy that would show up at 7 p.m. when the game starts at 7.30. I would get like these seven sheets of lined paper with time code placements on them. Time code is like, at what point in the day did this event happen? And I would log all of the plays from each Raptors game every night. So 82 nights, I'm in a, it's like a hallway with a TV and a piece of paper writing down time code. And from there, I started doing those are old. The, those were old temporary desks. Yep, the old temporary desks. And then I became a overnight producer for gaming an hour, gaming six minutes, and all sorts of other cool properties that we had. And then I became the web reporter for the Leafs and the Raptors. And then... I became the daily show host. Then I became the pre- and post-game show host for two episodes and then got fired. <laughs> and then... How did that feel? Um, now it feels good, right? Yeah, then yeah. you went home and you cried. Yeah. But now it feels good because you made your way back on air after getting axed so quickly. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I started that whole Couch Life uh, web blog series. Uh, and that turned itself into... Court surfing, I mean, not court surfing, the hangout, mm -hmm. which then evolved into me getting a lot more opportunities on air. And now I'm on Clay's podcast. So no. dreams do come true, kids. Yeah, I owe you the favor. I, I, I owe oh, yeah. you the thankful for that, uh, the, the thanks for that. But it was like you brought up Couch Life, which I loved. And I think I came and shot an episode of Couch yes, Life. You did. Wow. In, that's crazy. In your apartment when you're at like Danforth and Broadview. basically DVP. Yeah, yeah. Danforth and Broadview. Home, East York, all day, baby. So, like, I always love it when people, when their career is springboarded by something they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going out. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. I, I don't have to wait for anyone to tell me to do something. I'm just going to go out and do it. 
and then feel good about it because that's what I want to do. Well, at that point, I was back into a corner. I mean, you get fired from the Raptors pregame show. I don't think anyone's looking at you as a basketball reporter too strongly after that. So it was really um, out of necessity. I really, really, really wanted to get back on air. I knew it was what I wanted and needed to do with my life in order to accomplish all the goals and dreams I'd set for myself. So I said, if no one else is going to put me on air and if no one else is going to give me that chance, I got to make that chance for myself. And I invested a bunch of money, bought <laughs> like 10 grand worth of cameras I didn't know how to use with my own money. Wow, that, those I, are some rough nights, man. Own still, yeah. You bought one. I, of I, I, I bought one of your cameras off you and your lens. A, a, yeah, and I used to have that exact same um, what's recorder, that? recorder H4n H4n recorder. Yeah. Uh, I I like for a guy who didn't know <laughs> a damn thing about how to produce television. <laughs> I really put my money where my mouth was. For a guy that says he doesn't know a damn thing about producing television, you've been producing for what fifteen years now. Damn which near, is man. Pretty crazy. Yeah, but couch life was crazy because. It was in your place, on a couch, go figure, Wow. with you and your buddies. Yep. But then you'd get these, like, one-time guests that would pop in. Um, I guys what, from Ottawa come by, guys from Montreal that came by. But I'm, I'm talking Raptors. You had oh, yeah. John... Oh, what was oh his, John Lucas. John, John Lucas, Lucas at guy. third. Yeah, that, that was really weird. We had struck up a friendship, and I told him I was doing... Damn, dude, I forgot about that. Crazy, right? <laughs> These are the things that imprint on my mind. No, I completely forgot. John Lucas came over to my house. Chilling at your pad. And we were just chopping it up. Because the thing about John Lucas is his dad is a piece of basketball history. Mm -hmm. right? So this is John Lucas III we're talking about. But the John Lucas is a guy who was part of the NBA during that um, the cocaine 80s, they called it. Um, he was a guy who um, you know, kind of goes removed from the league. But now he's become this lightning rod for players trying to bring themselves back into the league. He was one of the guys that ushered a lot of the ex-players who had trouble back on the road to success. And his son was, um, you know, right there in his lap watching all that happened. And it was a really great episode and he was really friendly. And and um, I think he still plays with the Timberwolves. We still link up every once wow. in a while. Um, but yeah, that was, dude, thank you so much for that memory. I forgot that happened. Couch life was real. Like it was no yeah. joke, just a bunch of guys watching basketball and Talking shit. Talking shit. And for whatever we lack in production quality in anything we do on the side, the fact that it's user gen user generator, it's created by us, just people who want to create stuff, yeah. makes it so sick and so real. And then that morphed. That went from couch life into the hangout. Canada's only half-hour feature basketball talk show. Yeah, man, that's true. Which... Even then, it's not like they're like, Akil, uh, yeah, we really like your idea. Um, we're going to take it, and we're going to give you a big studio. They said, no, 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 Akil, we're going to take it, and we're going to put you in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> we're going to put you in the kitchen, because that's where it was filmed. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice kitchen, don't get well, me wrong. That, yeah, the first, year one and two, we shot it in like the lounge area of the kitchen here at 307 Lakeshore. Um, and it was our very first episode was a trip. So the very first episode of The Hangout, um, people I think don't know I still have it on my DVR. People think that myself and Dwayne Watson have been working together for like 20 years. We had maybe met months before the, uh, the Hangout got on air. And I think someone canceled on me. Someone really big canceled on me for the first episode. And I was, it was the morning of uh, the show. And I'm like, you know, like, I don't have Fuck. My, my 
Yeah, okay, well, I'll Fuck. let you say that. Uh, my fourth guest. And I called Dwayne, who I just recently yeah, started to admire for his writing and his, his involvement in the community. And I said, dude, can you get down here for like three o'clock to do this show? And he's like, well, I'm dropping my daughter off at university and I think it was like Windsor or somewhere, but but I can make it back. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, yeah, I can make it back. So our very first episode was myself, Dan Gladman, Dwayne Watson, and of course, the homie, Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Toronto that, Raptors. I was going to bring that up. I thought it was Dwayne Casey yeah, it was, in the first that, one. That's, that's a, he's an amazing man. He's been such a great friend. Um, he's been so open. I think he really likes to see young black men become successful, and he's invested some time and some energy into me and, and, and just being there for me. So I, have, I know a lot of people hit me like, oh, Dwayne Casey, iso ball, oh, I that guy uh, but I mean when you know someone on a personal level it's, it's that much harder to hear people talk trash about him so I don't really take the Dwayne Casey trash talk too easily but he's been an amazing force in my life and I'm thankful that he's the Toronto Raptors coach one of my favorite things that you've done standalone piece was for Black History Month when it was you and Dwayne Casey mm-hmm. and Wayne Embry mm-hmm. and was it John Lucas? It was John Lucas. Was that the fourth person? That again? was the fourth person. That's like your crew. That's the, that's, yeah, that's the homie. Well, Wayne Embry, of course. I don't know if a lot, a lot of you guys know this, but the, Legend. Very, the very first black GM in professional sports. He was the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he had a great team that he GM'd that fell short to Michael Jordan in the playoffs. But uh, Embry's a piece of history. He was there um, when they wouldn't let you know black athletes eat in the same diners as, as, as other people. And he, he'd been through the whole civil rights movement and just to rub shoulders and have a guy like that around especially when I'm trying to do similar things for young black people in Canada just knowing that he's been through that in, in the states where it's so much more intense um, it, it's just good to have him around to rub shoulders with people like that to know that you know we're all walking on on two legs putting on pants one foot at a time and I don't I think it's too much of a tough issue to try and crack right now everything that we've been going through um, everything North America has been going through um but I will say something that I'm extremely evident of probably over the last three years mm-hmm. is that ignorance comes in that idea that our society has passed racial problems, mm. right? Because growing up as I did in, you know, a white male in a school, uh, my high school had literally a black, one black kid and one Asian kid in 1600 people. What city? Newmarket. Newmarket. Ontario. It's way different now. But growing up, you always think, oh, those racial issues are a thing of the past. And you live your life to try and personify that and push that forward. But the last few years has taught me that more work has to, like, that there's more work on all of us, that not being a voice and not being a positive force is actually just being an annoying bystander that says everything is fine. But what I'm impressed by are those who still have positive outlooks. And that's what I remember out of that that panel that, that that you're on or that show you're on, it's not having a positive outlook. It's the idea that you can you can say, yeah, yeah, this is what was, but this is what is, and this is where things going. Well, my thing is work works, man. Work works. If you work at something, it'll work. And I think um, we're watching what's happening in the United States, and I think what's happened is people stopped working. I think people felt like this civil rights movement was over. Mm-hmm. They felt like you know we had achieved equality. You got you know rappers have liquor companies now like we're good because that's the bar (laughs) yeah right that's the bar if rappers could have liquor companies then we're good the world is at peace and i think um we got lazy and we kind of forgot and we let the underbelly swell and grow and and certain people have tapped into that frustration that other groups have because of you know a lack of education on what's actually causing society's problems and i think in canada too it's a little different because in america the racism is just 
it's so in your face, mm. right? It's so in your face. It's so evident. I think Canada doesn't have the same problems as the United States, but we have our own problems. Like, I'm a guy that I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, it was all black, all Indian, and not Indian. I don't mean native Indian. I mean Indian from India. Yeah. Uh, and that's why the food's so good. Oh yeah, the, 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 the two cultures coming mm. together, man. And um, and then I moved to New York City, and then I came here. And so the first time I'd seen, because um, in Brooklyn, this this ain't Brooklyn today. We're talking <laughs> yep. Brooklyn in like eighty nine, ninety. So it was a very black place. It uh, there's a comedian that goes on a bit about Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh no, it's Michael Che. Yeah. Who you had gone, but he was the whole. That's the homie, by the way. Shout rent. out Michael Che. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> that whole event's crazy. But uh, he does this whole bit. On how he should just, we should just send an army of white women over to Assyria because if they can, if they can gentrify Brooklyn, they yeah. can gentrify anywhere. In the yeah, world. because as you said in the late eighties, it was it wasn't the same Brooklyn. It wasn't it wasn't as it was the capital of crack. Hip. It was the capital of crack, and uh, my, my parents did a great choice. They sent me to Toronto, but when I came to Toronto, first time I saw like large amounts of white people. First time I saw a Filipino person. First time I saw, I, I saw, I went to a Catholic school at Maine and Danforth and I was like the third black kid at the school. Everybody was Italian, Filipino because I was Roman Catholic at the time. So it was a big, big, big eye opener for me. But I think the difference between what's happening in Canada and what's happening in the United States is in the United States there's a huge history of resentment between the, the, the groups of people that share the land. I don't think there's that here. But what I think there is is once there's been an established upper crust and established uh, a higher society, it's hard to crack that ceiling, especially in a society where the middle class has kind of been eroded over the last 20 years. So now I think one thing I've noticed is it's hard to, there aren't very many black people in power. There aren't very many black people here. I mean, you think about the black population in Canada, it's pretty much in Montreal, it's in Toronto. I mean, I've been to Vancouver a bunch of times. I can't, I can't say I know a lot of black people in Vancouver. So I think it's such a smaller group of people, and they're kind of isolated. That Within that group, there isn't a lot of power. And I think that's maybe the one concern that I think I have here is how do you give power to a group of people? Because I see it represented in television. Like, it's something I deal with a lot of times. Like, you know... Like I, my point of comparison is the Indian community has a tremendous amount of power. So you watch TV, you watch the news, you watch um, any network, and you're going to see a lot of Indian faces, you see a lot of uh, Asian faces, because those groups have power here, whereas the black people here, it's a smaller community, and they don't have as much power. So there isn't much dollars and cents put behind them. There isn't much investment in that community. And I think that's one of the concerns we have here. But the honest truth of the matter is, this is home for me, and I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I don't know. We've been friends for too long. I don't know what I'd do. You were like, honestly, all I had to do was text you on a Saturday morning while I was sitting at the airport and be like, yo, what are you doing on Monday? You're busy? And you're like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, my, wait, well, how's the conversation read? Because you know what? Sometimes like people will text you and they'll be like, um, you know, like you got free time. So the question was, what's good for you on Monday, Monday afternoon? No, that wasn't it. It was, where's the, where's the damn question? Oh, here it is. Good morning, Akil. It's Clay. How busy are you on Monday? See, that's a setup question. You because be I want to put you to work. Yeah, it's like, how busy am I? So my response was, that's a weird question. <laughs> What's up? But once I found out you're doing a podcast, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll support anything you do, man. You know, I love you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And if you ever need a couch to crash on... I might take the one from downstairs. Yo, if, they, I, if they're getting rid of it. I oh, want man. that so bad. They, they did an inventory, though. I was told, don't take anything or get fired. <laughs> I was like, yo, what are you guys doing with those couches? Like, uh, we did inventory. How yeah. many times can they fire one person before honestly, it actually sticks? Honestly, That's right? my question around here. 
You touched on Michael Che. Michael Che was that whole event. First of all, he's one of my comedic heroes. And I just he has found been for like five years. I just found out they they're doing a show. The weekend report every Thursday night, every Thursday, four of them Fuss. leading into September. And I gotta my, watch those. My DVR has not yet captured because that's the extent of my problems right now is when my DVR won't capture the shows that I wanted to. And I haven't seen one yet, but I did see Tina Fey was on, yeah. I guess, last week and uh, her, her little excerpt about just yelling into cake. And, and what? Yeah. So she, she's like, you know how I treat everything that's going on? She's like, just get a cake. Look, it's a cake. And then she just eats it and yells every problem that America Has thinks it's facing cake. at the cake as she eats it. Wow. And the idea is that you feel better at the end. Oh, okay. You eat a whole cake and feel better <laughs> yeah, at the end? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It's a new one. It but, looks um, good. Tina Fey is an absolute genius. But Michael um, Che, he comes to town. And I thought, I didn't know until late that he had the show. And I was working. He did two shows. Shit. <laughs> yeah, he's like a, a six and a nine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two shows on the same day. Yeah. So I didn't know till about 20 after 8, I think, that he was doing a show. And I was still working, and I was hemming and hawing over, and hemming and hawing, hemming and hawing. And, and there's tickets available, and I'm like, should I go? I don't know. I'm going to have to. I'm seeing if anyone else can go with me. I don't end up going. But then you have the night of your life. Oh, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Oh, well, the story goes like this. Uh, my homegirl uh, hit me up. She's like, I got this extra ticket. Someone bailed. You want to go see Michael Che? I'm like, what? Yeah, what? Yeah, of course I want to see And it's at the Danforth Music Hall, which is literally across from my house. Like, I could turn around the corner, hit McDonald's, get a McDouble, and then walk right into that place, which I don't do. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you eat no. McDoubles and look like that. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> eat McDoubles. Um, but no, so I get there, and um, I'm in the back, because... You know, we didn't have the best seats, so I'm in the back of the of the, like the bottom section of the Danforth Music Hall, and Michael Che commences to do his bit. He's there with Cypher Sounds, big time DJ producer in the hip hop game, but also a budding comedian. <laughs> so him and Cypher Sounds are doing their bit back and forth, and then Michael Che gets into his routine. But the whole start of his routine, he tried to do like a little Toronto thing, but he's making fun of Rob Ford a lot. Oh, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there. It's a little dated. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm not the biggest Rob Ford fan, but you don't roast a dead man. No. Right? Or maybe you do. I don't know. But probably like some grievance time in between. But I was pretty sure he didn't know Rob Ford was dead. So, you know me. Which is a great conversation opener. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not known as a tongue biter, so yeah. I just stand up and I yell, Rob Ford's dead. And the place goes quiet. Everybody shuts up. <laughs> and you should have seen the look on Michael Che's face. So Michael Che's like, uh... He's probably trying to read the situation. Yeah. Like, are you his buddy? Or what? It, I don't want to say uh, buddy. But, but Cypher Sounds <laughs> cuts in and just looks at him and goes, um, yeah, dude, I didn't want to interrupt your set, but yeah, he's, he's dead. And then he's like, oh. But he recovers well. He does a couple more jokes mm-hmm. but like he kind of like backs off the whole Rob Ford thing and then the kicker he goes alright white man thank you so much white Whoa. man in the back I'm like what he just called me a white man so I, I let it sit on me for like two seconds my homegirl sitting beside me just dying and I go, I'm not taking this so I stand up again I go I'm black <laughs> And he go, and then he had a, he he was on at this point. He's like, "Well, I have never ever heard anyone yell I'm black so passionately in a room full of white people." First off, are you even black? What's your name? And I go, "Akil." He goes, "Oh yeah, both his parents are black." <laughs> then he calls me up to the front of the stage, and I guess he orders like a bottle of aged whiskey. 
And he gives myself and um, actually the other guy he was heckling with was Jawad Rathor, huge Raptors fan, Fortress Man, um, property developer here in the city. He sits me and my homegirl beside Jawad, front row, and commences to serve us alcohol, the whiskey. And I get to go up and kind of make IG stories and interact with him on stage. And it was just an amazing night. <laughs> I'm sitting at work still losing my mind. <laughs> I should have just bought the damn ticket. Should have just rolled, bro. Comedy shows, anything can happen. Yep. Anything. And that's why I love them so much. And that's, uh, we have Just for Laughs coming to Toronto in September. 42 coming to Toronto. Uh, And I'm a huge supporter. I just, it was, Mike Birbiglia was just announced. And then, yeah. And he's like, if you don't know him, if anyone doesn't know him, he's a really slow talker. And he said earlier in his career that people would tell him that comedy is supposed to be delivered quickly. <laughs> but I just he just has a new Netflix special out. I don't want to say just. He has a new Netflix special out that I watched the other night. And then it's followed up the day after by it being announced that he's at Just for Last 42. And I lost doing my mind. Doing those same jokes. I, dude, I don't care if he's doing <laughs> the same jokes. I can listen to the same jokes over. I get it. I've seen. It's, they, aren't, they aren't coming up with it off the top of their head. Yeah, the, this is work on material. And I'm totally fine with that and I'll laugh all the same. Who are your top three comedians right now? Currently touring or or top three in history? No, not in history. Top three doing it right now. Currently writing jokes. Actively performing. Louis C.K. Yeah, that's number one. Uh, I'm, just, I'm top three kind okay, of okay. together. No specific order. Yeah, no specific order. Louis C.K., Louis Black. Really? Still, I love the angry. Uh, yeah, the, the angry's been good. The, the angry makes me howl. Okay. Like, I die at angry. Okay. And But he, you heard the hesitation in my voice because, yeah, yeah, yeah. like... He doesn't do as much. But he doesn't do as much. Chris Hardwick. Who's Chris Hardwick? Chris Hardwick, founder of Nerdist.com. He's hilarious. And I can't get enough. His show just wrapped up. His Comedy Central show uh, at midnight just wrapped up. And it was hilarious. He hosted. Uh, did you, have you ever seen At Midnight? I've never seen Chris okay. Hardwick. Chris Hardwick's hilarious. I'll show you some stuff once we're done. But he hosted a show. It's called At Midnight. And it was a game show. And the three contestants were also comedians. Oh, no. I do know Chris Hardwick. And that show. Yeah, I did watch was, that show. It was hilarious. It was good, yeah. And I loved it because he just like they they their big driving part each episode was uh, uh hashtag wars where they'd be like yep. add a family member to a song name and then you know you mash up a song name and add it's like son. improv on steroids it's uh, improv on steroids and it killed me it always killed me and his sense of timing kills me and i have all of his stand-up Specials, you know, downloaded on my phone. Uh, Chris Hardwick. I'm gonna say yeah. Louis C.K. Louis Black. Mike Birbiglia. He's that's four people now. I know, but Mike Birbiglia is four. He was the top three, and then Mike Birbiglia. He's right there. He's skirting. You're just waiting for, for for Lewis Black to die, and like, then Mike Birbiglia is right in there. A season, sorry, I think his uh, really he did. The okay, now you're at five. Square. Can I give my three? Yeah, please. You're about to be a ten in the second. <laughs> I could right. go twelve. I want. love social commentary, so my three comedians are the three best social commentary comics out right now. Number, <laughs> I think he said the three best. They're, they're the three best. They are the three. Just by them, there's no argument <laughs> in my mind. No one can come up to me after I make this list and say, dude, you know what? You're wrong. Tied for first are three people. Two people. Okay. And the other guy, he's, he's sitting in third and that second spot's vacant. <laughs> but t- 
tied for first are Louis C.K. and Dave Chappelle. I love Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, here's give, the give butt. Third, okay. No, give me the butt. Give me the butt. Pa- no, pause. Don't give me the butt, but just tell me why. His last Netflix bit, love the first one. Mm-hmm. Second one, barely laughed. I'm so, did you watch them back to back? I did watch them back to back. That's probably the problem. You were probably, probably laughed out. You need to space it out more, buddy. <laughs> you maybe should have you know, gone for a jog or something. But I love them. I, I should go for okay. jogs way more often, like daily, I, I twice. There was definitely a difference between the first hour and the second hour. But wasn't the second hour the one with the, with the um, Bill Cosby joke? The second hour was the one with the Bill Cosby joke about the, about, about um, women working in uh, during World War II. That is that dude. That is one of the greatest structured jokes in joke history. The setup for that joke. I have not seen a setup. The man went from okay, women joined the workforce in World War II. He walked us through black men. Um, in the army, mm-hmm. he went to Vietnam. He went to see what the uh, suffrage, and it all boiled down to the fact that Bill Cosby <laughs> raped fifty-two women. Come on, man! I've never, <laughs> I've never seen a joke like I probably. I can go back and the, watch the, it. The joke, but it's one of the <laughs> best. Tr- like if you're a, if you're a nerd for jokes mm-hmm. and you like joke structure. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an extra word in that joke. There was no fat. It was just a great joke. And then third, Bill Burr. William Completely. Burr is a beast. I, I could never watch it with like a girl because his views on women are, wow, you're going to get into a fight listening to this guy? And laughing, not listening. You can listen to him fine. Yeah. You can't laugh at You can't jokes. laugh. You just got to stare and be like, wow, that guy's messed up. Yeah, he's saying a lot of stuff. But he is a brilliant comedian. And I think that's my top three. Jim Jeffries, I can keep going. Jim Jeffries, wow. he's he has a a new late night show on uh, Comedy Central. As well Does as anyone Jim have Jeffries anything show? on Netflix? I don't have cable anymore. Jim Jeffries has, I think, two specials on Netflix. Okay. They're both. He was the one. He was the comedian. I hope I'm right. I'm pretty sure he was the comedian that went on. The don't worry if, if you're not right, just edit it out. No, I'm going to leave it in and have the internet shit on me because mm. that's what it's there for. It's a very supportive community of Aren't people that, that just want to lift Love you up the and comments make, on my on my YouTube make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jim Jeffries. I'm pretty sure he was the one who had the commentary on the gun laws in the U.S. Mm. and he just went off. And I'm going to watch that left tonight. side or right side. Yeah, YouTube it. It has. Did you watch Ozark? No, I have not. Oh, I know. I've oh. the second guy in three days. The horror. Said. Ozark is the shit. It's the shits. It's so good. First off, <laughs> first off, anything Jason Bateman touches is gold. But he's except a, for that movie with Jennifer, with Melissa McCarthy. Which identity? Theft? Oh, uh, identity theft. Rubbish. I didn't see that because I liked them both too much, and everyone told me to you stay like away. Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, I do. Uh, Big time. Like, my yeah. love for Melissa McCarthy actually goes back to Gilmore Girls. I She was in Gilmore Girls. You was. watch Gilmore Girls? I'm unabashed. I'm saying it's just one of those. Hey, when did she become famous, Melissa McCarthy? I thought she became famous from um, that. Was it the Bridesmaids? No, she wasn't even in that. What was the movie? Yeah, she was. She was in Bridesmaids. Yeah, I thought that's when yeah. she blew up, right? Before then. Really? No, actually, do you have your IMDb? I can pull it up right now. Definitely. Oh, oh there special we go. guest appearance. Kylie, she has the microphone sitting in front of her, but you get two guys like us in a room and she can't find a word the whole time. Yeah, but trust me, we, she'll be of use because there's going to be so many inaccuracies in the things we say. I know. She's going to be like, um, what's that guy? <laughs> Stat Boy from uh, PTI? 
Did you watch PTI? No, I don't watch. Part of the interruption. Yeah. Nah, it's here and there. Not religiously. Oh, okay. Like if it's on, I'll keep watching it. Uh, but not. Uh, she's our stat boy. I thought. We were stat boy. I thought. Uh, sat girl. I mean, I was, in reference to the guy that had already done it's it. It's like if Tony she was Reale. playing Peter Pan, we wouldn't have to call her Petra Pan. I think we would call her Patricia Pan, no? I grew up next to a Petra, so. Petra. That's, that's the, more of an Eastern block name than anything else. Is it? I think that's Petra. Is that Petra? Canadian? Do we have it? Do you know Do you Petra? know that she was in Charlie's Angels? Melissa McCarthy was in Charlie's Angels? She like CC. Who the hell is Okay, get the shit out. I don't know. Which one? Charlie's Angels or Charlie's Angels Full Throttle? Because it's a huge difference. Um, just Charlie's Angels. Oh, the first one. Yeah. I actually love those movies. I love those yeah, movies. Well. I mean, come on. I'm not. There. No, that's Charlie's Theron. What's uh, her name? What's the girl's name? Which one? Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore's in it. And, and then uh, Lucy, Lucy Liu. Liu. Oh, Lucy Liu. Ah, I love me some Lucy Liu. So give me, give me... What she, what Melissa McCarthy did after Gilmore Girls, because I took notice of her in Gilmore Girls. She played a character named Sookie, who was absolutely hilarious. Sookie, she was a chef, absolutely hilarious. The first one after Gilmore Girls is the captain. The captain <laughs> next. Uh, just add water. Next. Never heard of that. Pretty ugly people. Next. <laughs> Samantha, who? She's Ooh. a working girl. Like she, yeah, she's out there. Is out there getting, getting small things. checks. Okay, Rita rocks. Next. These are straight to DVD. Private practice. Private practice? That's a TV show, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, the backup plan. Oh, that's actually a movie that I've heard of. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> oh, she's big, I swear. Yeah, yeah. She's she's big, but yeah. in a different context. It's life as we know it. And then Bridesmaids. Then so I told you she blew up from Bridesmaids, bro. Nobody knew who Melissa McCarthy was before that. Bridesmaids is freaking hilarious. Just you and your Gilmore Girls. I can. The, the, just me and my Gilmore Girls. And everyone else. Ridiculous. And everyone else who watched Gilmore Girls. Bridesmaids. Did pretty, I had some people complain to me that Netflix didn't renew that show for a second season. Which, oh, Gilmore Girls? Yeah, they did like a special Gilmore they, Girls. They thing. did four episodes. I thought it was coming back. It's not. I don't know. I, was, I don't know. I just witnessed two people arguing about it. I don't know. It seemed interesting. They brought back Gil- Gilmore Girls. I can see how perhaps it didn't do so well. I'm not really sure because Netflix never released. Did you watch it? How I did. Okay, yeah, I was say, definitely. You should have watched it. You're a bigger fan. I, yeah, I was big into it. I liked how it. Stranger went. Things is coming back. I'm so excited for Stranger Things. Oh my gosh! I have Get watched your egos. this series three times now. Really? And it keeps getting better. And this is what I okay. Two big series that I was big on the last year and a bit was Westworld oh my and God. Stranger Things. Okay, can, I, can I tell you a story about Westworld? So Westworld came out, what, in like, I'd say maybe November, October times? Yep, sounds about right. So I didn't watch Westworld. So remember this January? We had like no sunlight whatsoever. There was like maybe in the month of January, we had like 28 hours of sunlight. Toronto um, winters. It was one of the coldest winters. It was, it was, it was borderline depressing. Okay. So I'm at home. I'm a single guy. I live by myself. Um, and I have, you know, I was working MBD showcase, you know, NBA seasons going on. So when I got home, I just wanted to sit down, veg out, just not think. And I had a couple of days off and I watched Westworld. I watched the first couple episodes. And by episode seven, first off, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. 
But then, because I spent so much time alone and it was dark <laughs> and it wasn't the best time, and maybe I was drinking too much, but I got into this Westworld induced depression where it was like, what's happening to the world? Is this really gonna happen? Is this what's next? Westworld negatively impacted my psyche. Great show, but it put me in a very bad headspace. Which makes it a great show. Yeah. I think if a show can, if a character or a show can drag you in any headspace, yeah. it makes it unbelievable. It was bad though. It was really bad. Like I had to. So I, did, did you watch the last three episodes? Yeah, that, okay. that, that made it even worse. <laughs> Yo, the, 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 like episode seven, eight, and nine, there were points where oh, no, is that what's happening? Oh my God. Like when I like I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody, but there are three or four great real, moments, realizations. Yeah. I'm gonna call them realizations in that show where you're just like, fuck. But I'll say this: say it. Stranger Things, Westworld, two big shows that I've loved over the last couple of years or a year and a half. Watch it over and over and over again. Stranger Things holds up. Yeah. Westworld. You see the cracks. Yeah. Like, it's really hard to tell that complex of a story. You you totally got people week to week to week. If you try applying that... So if your fans are obsessive science, like Clayton, and they're going to watch your show... Like five Take times. notes. <laughs> you need a tight script. Here's, here's a challenge It's tough, for though. That's very tough. Because you're trying to keep everyone entertained. Yeah. Uh, here's a challenge for them, though. How do they make a second season? Because... That show was so good. I went and watched the original movie, and it's a larger scope. Like in the in the actual Westworld movie, they, they come off the bat saying that that's not the only world. Hmm. There's other worlds, mm-hmm. but you don't find that out in the Westworld show till the end. Till the end. Till so, you, and it's even that's like it's not an Easter egg, but it's not yeah completely out there. You just kind of pass through rooms like, and you see that, characters that don't belong in the Wild yeah, West. And you're yeah. like, well, what's really happening here? Good show. I don't know. They could go one of two ways. I think with it, they could go um, True Detective, where they just they just drop you in another world, and it's a new it, maze to try and why get out True of. True Detective didn't work though, because everyone was attached. To the first season. Because Rusty Cole is the greatest television character of all time. So, Rusty Cole, son, so fucked Rusty up. Rusty Cole. That first season again. I've watched it several times. Yo, the, so good. The reinvention of Matthew McConaughey has been one of the best things for me to watch in television and film. From Rusty Cole to Interstellar to Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, he, Mud? Did you see Mud? No, I didn't see. Worth Mud. seeing. As Is well. it the one with Completely. him, the kid? Yeah. Yeah. No, I watched the opening scene and didn't. I wasn't compelled. It's good. But McConaughey was a bum acting wise. He was doing movies like Fool's Gold and anything where he would say the words, yeah. (laughs) You know, like he, I don't know what happened because there was that movie that he did with Christian Bale, The uh, Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire. Anyone who spends time with Christian Bale is going to up their acting game. Like, I don't like Christian Bale because he is one of the most intense method actors. Like, he's up there and now. You're not going to put anyone up there with him because Daniel Day-Lewis is such an anomaly and such a standalone performer of his time. But, I mean, for our generation, we don't really have a Daniel Day-Lewis. And I would say Christian Bale really takes the roles that he plays seriously. Really, really seriously. They say the same, and I'm using this as a contrast, they say the same about Jared Leto or Leto. I think it's Leto, no? Leto. I... For, I will say both of them forever for the rest of okay. my life until he comes up and corrects me and says, no, it's actually this way. Um, Jared Leto Leto, I've heard the same thing. 
will get right in and not let go of who his character is, yeah. regardless of what it is. But very different. Both, actually, both related to the Batman character in different yeah. ways. Yeah. But Christian Bale, um, the machinist, I think, mm. is is his greatest he role that I've seen him in. He lost 100 and how many pounds for that role? It was ridiculous. He, he looked emaciated. He had to... I had heard he had to go in and do his screen test for Batman when he just finished Machinist. And so he was tiny. He w- he was withered down. And he had to do his Batman screen test then. And I don't know whether he fainted or just had a really tough time just because his body was reacting to not eating anything for ages. Can we shout out Christopher Nolan one time right quick? <laughs> I just want to shout out Christopher Nolan one time right his- quick. Like he's my he's my I don't know what he is. He's my he's my North Star. He's he's the best thing to have in the movies in a long time. Like when's this guy gonna do a dud? He and his brother. Yeah, his, his brother's his brother, a great screenwriter. One of the best screenwriters. Screenwriter. Those guys just throw ten different types of heat. I watched Dunkirk. I was amazed. It was probably smaller than I thought the movie would be. I thought it would be more of an engrossing, larger scale story. Mm-hmm. But they really got specific to these characters. Mm-hmm. But that was brilliant. Memento. <sighs> Come on. That was the one. So so Christopher Nolan's brother, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Mr. Nolan. Mr. Nolan, the other one. Poor guy. He wrote the short story for Memento, with which Christopher then directed the short. And oh, so there's a tur- short out there? Yeah. I think it, it originated. Memento originated as a short. Kyle, are you looking this up? No? <laughs> no, she's like, ah. I, I never know. I have to know what's on her screen at all times. Who played the main character in Memento? It was... um. Ugh. Ugh. Forget his name. Not Billy how many, Zane. How many tabs do you have open, Kylie? Porty? Now you know why I have tons open in mind. Who started Memento again? Guy Pierce? Guy Pierce. Yeah! yeah. Oh. One for a kill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but that was that. If you haven't seen Memento, it changed films for me, I think, when I, when I saw it, because I was just at the right age. What year did it come out? 2000. 2000. So I would have been 16 years old. Wow. In 2000 when it came out. Yeah. And it was just the right time where you're starting to think of film as more than just what's presented to you, more than just dinosaurs in a park or more than just an alien coming down to visit. You're like, someone created this. Someone thought of this idea and then turned it into action. And Memento came right at that time where I was like, yeah, I'll forever remember this movie. Yeah, no, that's that. I remember watching. I remember, I, you know, those memories where you can smell it. Mm-hmm. Like I, could, I remember my cousin's basement when we watched that movie. What does Memento smell like to you? <laughs> mold. He takes a sniff. Moldy cousin's basement. Mold and um, brute. I think that was the cologne he wore. Brute. brute. So kind of like seeped into the walls of his apartment. Are you, the basement. Are you a cologne guy? Am I? No. Me I am neither. not a cologne guy. I can't. I, I have a gross over application problem. Right? <laughs> so it's like if I'm going to put on cologne, I'm like putting it up. And like, ah, my ear, I need to dab my ear, two shots on the chest, three shots on the back, one for the forehead because it's so big. And, and it's, like, it's just all over the place. And then this spray, the war forehead. <laughs> call, back to the, call back to the beginning of the podcast. And then the spray that you put through your apartment and then walk through yeah, right, to make sure walk. you're evenly dusted. And then people be like, dude, chill on the cologne. I'm like, you know what? That's nah, under arm from now on. I had, uh, in previous lives, when I've had different jobs... I, I was given a couple really nice bottles of cologne as a gift for Christmas. Stetson? Or, 
No, Yves Saint Laurent. Oh, real nice cologne. Um, Not like the cologne your parents give you. No, they would give here's, me here's drug, a four pack of Stetson. Dracar Noir. Yeah, like the, really? That would be what my parents gave me, and I couldn't stand it. I smell the like smell. a CEO from 1960. <laughs> I smell like my dad's car. <laughs> It was the smell he used to mask the alcohol he'd been drinking, which is absolutely terrible. Yeah, then like why a, do you give that to me? Let me take a shot of this cologne. Yeah. The mask. <laughs> the vodka that doesn't smell like anything anyway. Really? Maybe vodka just like, I, I, can, I, I can smell vodka. You can smell vodka? I, I have a very keen nose for alcohol. <laughs> what? I'm like two cans and Samaholic. Did you ever work at like barback or bartending yes. or anything like that? Yes, I was a barback. I was a barback at the Joker nightclub on Richmond back when Richmond was like the it scene spot, like late 90s, early 2000s. Yep, I was a barback Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. There's Joker, there's Whiskey Saigon. Yeah. What else was down there? I'm trying I to forget. remember. I don't know. I never went out. I always worked, and my yeah, friends would come by, and I'd see them partying, and I'd be <laughs> collecting bottles. So I was a little further up. I was at Mod Club, and I was across the road at um, another club, which I always forget the name to. What ruined alcohol for me was 4 a.m., and all you get is that gross smell of spilt drinks. Like, just that smell when the lights, when everyone clears out and you just have to clean the counters and count your tail and do all that crap. That smell of, like, Coca-Cola and whatever bar was bar rail, that smell killed alcohol You're for lucky. me. And I'm not it even... It only happened at 4 a.m.? Here's a trick with the Joker. So we had to move the bottles in this like elevator, you know, like a service yeah, elevator. Yeah. And it had like, the floor wasn't complete. Like it was like sp- spaces in the floor. So bottles would break and liquor would seep through. So it didn't matter what time of day you came into the building, oh, that reeks. elevator reeked, reeked of just old beer, alcohol. It was, it was. It's I, the I worst became, smell. Yeah, I became desensitized to it by the I, end. I don't know why anyone... I know, I know why, because I, it's not like I swore off alcohol. But I don't know how anyone that has ever been through that can ever really go to a club again and be okay with it. Yeah. Because that's all I think about every time I it walk It just triggers in. you back to those long-ass nights working for 90 bucks collecting drinks. It was, and actually, tips were pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I made. I was doing... Oh, de- how I much was, were you making? How much were you making? A good night, I probably made two... two Thirty, but on an average night when like the club wasn't popping, like ninety, a hundred bucks. So I would have been a little. So I would have like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I thought you made so when you I was bartending. No, no, no. But we do on a good night six fifty. You would make six fifty. Yeah, I would make six fifty on a night. Yeah, and that, and then on a bad night it would be like two hundred. Man, and then that's on top, and they paid us. Like our hourly was ten bucks an hour. Which yeah, no, we got our hourly too. I, but like, I don't know why anyone ever paid us ten bucks an hour when, like, at the time you only had to pay five twenty-five to scrubs like us. Wow, these bar bar and service industry, their minimum wage is lower, right? Is it? Yeah, but they paid us ten bucks an hour, which was great. And then we killed Mod Club, killed. Yeah, the Joker wasn't well. really known for its high end clientele. No, and this was before the days of everyone, bottle service. Everyone just rounding up to the nearest dollar. Yeah, to tip. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, whatever oh, change I have, uh, four seventy eight. Here's five. Keep yeah, the change. Keep the change. Like, oh, thanks, keep it. Man. So what do you got coming up? 
Oh, it's, man. It, it's that, it, I don't think this is going to air until the very beginning of September. Okay. But uh, give us, we're recording the end of August, so it's only that far away. All right. But but what's your September like? NBA is coming back? Yep. The NBA will be back with a longer extended season. Uh, cut down the preseason, so we'll be doing more hangouts. <laughs> I uh, got some original content coming your way via the Toronto Raptors channels. Uh, still working out the kinks and the details on that. And uh, I've been doing some touring with the um, public speaking workshops. So uh, did Halifax a couple times. No way. I'll be in, I was in London, Ontario back in August. And uh, back. Back in Back August, in August because that. these are always recorded live. Yeah, so this actually, is live. Whenever actually, you're listening to it, it's live. I'm going to Halifax again this weekend in London the next weekend. So, jeez. And then, so how do, how do people get hooked up with that? So if they want to like give us the the so I built one. Does anyone say four one one anymore? I mean, no. If you listen, we to have cell phones, to old R and B albums. Someone <laughs> will say it, but uh, so I developed these two workshops based around the skill of storytelling. I feel like um, that's what I've used in my life to get myself to the position that I'm in. And I feel like young people, um, especially when they're trying to find their identity and they're in those crucial stages where they're separating from peer groups that they depended on for a long time, it's very important to have a kind of story that um, kind of gives you some kind of moral compass, some kind of guiding force. So I've developed these two workshops uh, around storytelling that I've been um, working on. I've been doing it for about four years. So I've been refining the concept and doing um, dates sporadically. We launched a website this year. It's uh, AkilAugustine.com. And very original yeah but, you know I, honestly, figured, I figured that's the one I needed the, <laughs> so there's, for people to find me yeah. and relate me to the guy in the photo so um, yeah the electronic press kits up there all the info that um, you know whatever teachers mentors or people who have young people that would um, make use of this skill uh, need it's all on that website and of course you can reach out Twitter, Instagram. I don't do Pinterest, sadly, but you know I'm at the Key Logistics on all those formats. You're, yeah. not, you're not decorating your beach house with uh, man new I'm new found wood creations. I, well, actually, you know what's weird? My brother-in-law does that. Like he does a lot of like reclamation projects of old crap. You should. That's check what him Pinterest out. is amazing for. You should check him out. He's got a television show on HGTV. His name's Seb Clovis, former CFL uh, football athlete and uh, Grey Cup champion. He's got a show called uh, Saved by Reno. And he's on that um, whole makeover show with all the big name um, makeover house show people. You watch it regularly. Like Bomber and those guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch the support of Seb, but I, I live in an apartment in downtown Toronto. So I don't know how much of that whole makeover stuff works for me. And plus, I'm a minimalist. So. I bought a mirror like six weeks ago and hung it in my hallway. And that's my home renovation budget for the year. Yeah, straight up, man. Minimalism is good. Nothing dope, else. Though. Yeah, like, else? I like open space. What am I, you like open space? I love open space. So I can like run around, play, break dance, <laughs> imagine. You know. So to wrap it up, to sum it up, Akil Augustine has Michael Dorn Wharf's forehead. Yep. Apparently, yep, actual size. Uh, if you want to get in with Nike, you got to play it like Hollywood and go for lunch meetings. You know what? Yeah, they'll pay for it too. <laughs> really? I mean, if you're good enough. I was wondering what I was going to do for lunch today. <laughs> Hit up Nike. Say, yeah, I'm around. And most importantly, if you want to do something, don't wait for someone to ask you to do something. Just do it. Hey, here's, seriously. Here's, my motto is this. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness, right? If you've known Akil for any amount of time, especially in a work environment, you know that he lives by that. <laughs> and it's been proven many, many, many times over and over, Akil. 
Thank you so much. Clayton, man, Ed. I wish you the best of luck with this project. I'm really happy you're doing this. I think you're the guy to do it. You've got the right personality for it. you got the energy for it. And anything you need from me, man, I got you, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. And all, it's not a, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's like a list of people that I just want to reconnect with. When's the last time we sat down for an hour and just shot the shit? Mm, leaf space. Asia, right? <laughs> And we work together. We yeah. work in the same, and we don't work together, but we work in the same environment. But the workload's intense, and when, when, when the season's over, everybody runs the hell out of here. They bail separate ways. hard yeah. and just catches up on sleep. And so it's just the ability to reconnect with all the people that I've grown close to in the industry and just in the community. Which is I'm really excited for, but thank you. Dope. You're the perfect. You're the perfect first guest, and I knew you're going to be because when I brought this to you, the idea, and I just wanted to bounce it off you, and it was like March. It was six months ago, close to it. You were totally in on it, and you said, "Let me be our first guest." Like, come on, I want to be your first guest, and I said, "Okay, totally." Shoot. Well, hey, dreams come true. Dream, <laughs> my dreams come true. Thank you so much, and I don't know. I got I want to come up with a tagline. Oh, I know where this it's, is going. I want to come up with the tagline. I think you can I, do it. I'm going to let you do yours, and then and then I'll hit you with mine, and then we'll end it. Wait, okay? what? I, what how come I got to go after you do yours, though. I want to know what yours okay. is. Do you, like, because mine's going to be different. Than I, I know what you're going to do. I mine, know, here's what I'm going to do. The podcast is called Stringers. I'm the dude from The Hangout. People who watch The Hangout know how I say Hangout. So one time for my guy, Clayton, this is Akil Augustine, man of the street out here in Toronto, and this is Stringers! Eat your vegetables.